Uh, keep in mind, next week after church is the uh, members' meeting. We uh, it says please plan to attend, and we will be voting on treasurer at that meeting. So, um, and then there's also an end of year finance statement that's back on that back table also. So, please feel free to pick one of those up, and you can review that before next week. Uh, we have this week. We have our meat meeting, guys. Dean is going to be bringing taco meat and taco shells and nachos. So, um, if nachos, right? Um, so if we could get uh, somebody to, if some guys to bring like some lettuce and tomatoes and cheese, that kind of stuff. And if not, then we'll eat meat and tortillas because we don't care. So, a um, couple other things. Let's see. Operation Christmas Child. Brandy's going to come up and. Talk about that. Good morning. This was not supposed to be my deal, but I'm filling in and I'm going to be the sidekick to Rochelle. Uh, but we are wanting to kind of revamp how we uh, do our Operation Christmas Child, the shoe boxes. If you guys are familiar with those, usually in October, November time, we get those out and you can fill a shoe box. Um, but she had a wonderful idea to have a box in our missions new room here, right next to the sanctuary. So there will be a box in there, and this will allow you to just put in donations as you can and as you feel led to give. So we've kind of divided it out for the months, and so January is the wow gift for Operations Christmas Child. So something like maybe a teddy bear or something really nice, a, a soccer ball that can be inflated, something like this. Because again, these gifts need to fit in a shoebox. This is kind of the trick to these presents. Um, but there are a few guidelines, so if anybody doesn't know about this, um, Operations Christmas Child sends Christmas gifts to children all over the world, uh, a lot of third world countries where kids don't receive gifts and presents for Christmas time. Uh, what happens is here at our local community churches all over the US and elsewhere, uh, people put in gifts for, in shoeboxes, and then those get shipped to like headquarters to where people then volunteer their time, go through those shoe boxes, make sure there are no kind of inappropriate toys or any type of war thing. So even to the point where nothing can have a camo on it. So be careful when you're choosing gifts. So no camo, no squirt guns, no any sort of weapon gift of any kind. They'll take those out, but they also put in uh, gospel tracts and Bibles with the kids' own language of wherever the boxes are going to. So it's a really cool thing. So these kids are gifted uh, scripture, gifted um, just information about Jesus and the good news. And so it's a wonderful way to just reach children. And so as a church, we're hoping to have a party in November and pack shoeboxes. So Rochelle and I are going to be working on putting some, just collecting things throughout the year and storing those to that November party time. But each month we will have a different item to put in the box that we're collecting. And so... Um, we as a church, we're just hoping that you guys support us. You don't need to spend a lot of money, but just every once in a while, if you feel led, look at your bulletin, and it'll tell you what our featured toy or item of the month is. And again, so January is wow toys, uh, dolls, balls, stuffed animals, etc. something like this. Uh, something that you would gift a kid here in America, probably, as a, as a present, so those kinds of things. And if you can, again, the box is in the missions room. And just remember... Uh, pray on this, and whatever you want to give, we would be happy to accept. We'll take, and we'll store that away, and then just stay tuned for November when we can get together and have a fun packing party, especially if you are Tetris-brained. We'll gladly take you. <laughs> so thank you, guys.
And she's not lying. She loves to pack stuff. I, I even let her pack my luggage all the time. So, um, <clears throat> Miriam, do you want to come up and talk about the Hope Dealers Q&A? I was here last week. For those who missed it, um, just a quick explanation to the February 4th meeting right after church. We're going to have a meeting and question and answer and presentation of the Hope Dealers Ministry. Hope Dealers Ministry is the outreach to the unhoused people here in our community. That happens on Sunday morning. It happens during the week, too. We would love to share with you guys a little more what our vision is, what our heart behind it is. We would like the church to know what's going on and be a part of it as well. So that's February 4th, right after church, when we will talk about that. For those who don't know, Alan and I and Shannon Ray are the core team members of the Hope Dealers Ministry. And then we have wonderful volunteers of this church that are part of it as well. So just thank you for considering being there, asking your questions and listening what God put on our hearts in that, for that ministry. Thank you, Miriam. Okay, let's go ahead and stand and do our monthly memory verses. Um, there are two verses, so we need to get both of these. So. Psalm 118, 22, and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118, 22, and 23. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just a, a cool winter morning. Lord, we pray for... Uh, Dakota today, as Dakota brings a message, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would uh, ease any uh, nerves, any anxiety. Lord, just uh, we pray that he would be a conduit for what you would have us here, Lord. We, we, uh, we pray for him. We pray for uh, your message today, and Lord, we just uh, lift this time to you. We love you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. I've given a couple of sermons in the past, um, and I'm really good at being quiet up here. Or try to be better this week. You know, I really like that song. Uh, it makes me think of Isaiah 6, where it talks about being before God's throne. And, uh, and Isaiah's reaction, just falling to the floor and worshiping. And, um, I don't know, brings me some joy and some terror at the same time. <laughs> um, we are going to continue where Shane left off last week, actually. Um, we're going to start in Mark 12. Before I start, I'm going to pray because I need, uh, need God in this. Heavenly Father, um, I'm nervous, and uh, I know that you have this, um, but getting my mind over it is sometimes a challenge, Father. I thank you so much for um, what you've taught me this week and, um, and my time spent with you and uh, how amazing it is to be in your presence, Father. Um, help it be something that sticks within our mind this week as we go through our week and let these words be uh, what you want them to be, help them be impactful in the way that uh, you would have them, Father. We love and exalt you. Amen. So I'm going to start right away and read the passage to start with. And so we, as, as we went before in the weeks previous, they, uh, the Pharisees um, as it says um, in chapter 11, we have the elders and the scribes coming and trying to test Jesus some. 
and the Pharisees think they're going to do the same thing. Uh, and they went to him, some of the Pharisees and some of the uh, Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one, and they said, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you guys know who the Pharisees are, uh, teachers of the Jewish law, right? Um, by show of hands, how many of you know uh, who the Herodians are? I didn't know until this week. I've read that a lot. <laughs> uh, so I thought, let's start by just looking at who we're talking about. How many of you know the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Hey, we got a couple. I didn't. <laughs> so the Pharisees, the first party involved, right? Um, not big fans of Rome. Um, they do like the power that they have in their current system. Uh, they're primarily composed of uh, middle-class men, um, priests and whatnot, to, as compared to the Sadducees who are more upper-class. Good distinction to know. Um, they uh, stringent believers in the law, use it as a bludgeon, smack people down with the Bible kind of thing. Good people, right? Uh, and then we have the Herodians. I didn't know who the Herodians were, were uh, but it sounds a lot like Herod, right? Do you hear a good dude? Yeah, very. I heard somebody say he's a very good dude. Um, so Herod uh, and the kings thereof, not great people. The Herodians are people who gain power um, through the law at some level, but are very big fans of the Herods and the nasty things they do. So they're political beings. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys all read your bulletin yet, but the title of this sermon is Power, Pride, and Politics. Who's uncomfortable now? Don't worry, it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, and so they really, really like the Herod family. They like the way things currently are. The Pharisees are looking forward to a king that comes and starts a new rule under God in the way that they feel that it's going to happen. Two very opposing groups. We have very opposing groups in our current culture. And can you imagine them coming together on anything. Not easily. Great answer. There has to be something really divisive for them to come together on. Something so bad that they would think, I don't care that these people are horrible, they support a government that kills my people, subjugates my people, I'd rather deal with the other problem first. Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> I have a hard time envisioning that happening in our current uh, current atmosphere. I'll try to stop lip smacking. I'm really good at that one too. <laughs> it's hard for me to to imagine a time where they become allies, for a group of people that uh, opposing to each other that wants nothing more than more power. Um, and 
And the part that blows me away is they actually sat down. It wasn't like these two groups came together and just happened to walk up at the same time or like, hey, we have a question for you. No, they formulated the question, sat down and thought it through and thought, we're going to make a question so good that he can't get out of it. I am not that intelligent when it comes to making up questions that well, uh, thinking them through, and I'm really not good at it when it comes to time to tricking people. And they spent time on this, and that's nuts. But they sit down, have a cordial conversation, and say, how can we get this guy killed? <laughs> so what was the trap? That was my next question. Now that we know who the parties involved are, what is the trap that we're going to set? We need a little bit of history for it. So it talks about taxes, right? Everybody here loves taxes, I'm sure. Everybody's favorite thing to pay. You like this time of year, I know you do. <laughs> but they had a tax. Uh, do we, are we entirely opposed to taxes in our government currently? Not probably a, totally opposed. There's certain things we like to have. Roads without potholes. Um, there's a number of things that we appreciate that our government does. A defense for us, we'd rather not be overrun, things like that. When we don't like them is when we think that they're overburdensome or for bad purposes, right? Fair? And that's, and that's fair. I don't think that the, uh, all the Pharisees and, the, and the, the Jewish people hated all taxes. I think they liked being safe in their homes and whatnot. So what was the tax that they're, they're asking him about? It was implemented in 6 AD. And have you guys ever heard of a head tax? Nope, me neither. Uh, a head tax or a poll tax, as they're more uniformly known, uh, is a tax on being an existing. You didn't earn anything. You didn't do anything for the, specific for the money. It's not like an income tax. It's not a tax to pay for the roads or the military or any, some, even somebody's agenda. It's literally a tax that says, you exist in our country. We're going to tax you. How would you guys all feel about that tax if we impose that? Somebody says they like it over here. I'm kidding. <laughs> so this happened in 6 AD. And when it first got implemented, there was another gentleman named Judas, not the one you're thinking of, uh, Judas of, uh, of the Galilean, a couple different names for him. Uh, and this man started a revolt over this tax on three tenants. The first tenant being that as a zealot, they're, they're, this revolt was known as a revolt of the zealots. And the idea was, we don't pay taxes to anybody besides God. It's all gods. We shouldn't have to pay anything to some earthly ruler. That part doesn't sound so crazy. Um, they would not, so they wouldn't pay any taxes specifically to Rome. And his, the third thing he was really passionate about and did was he cleared the temple of all the, uh, the bad people in his mind. Sound like anybody else we know? In chapter 11, that's when Jesus clears the temple. And so when the Pharisees and the Herodians came and wanted to talk to Jesus uh, beforehand, they know their history, right? This isn't that long ago. It's about 25 years prior. 25 years, not so long, but long enough that when Jesus was six, he might not know it as well as he could. Fair? Yeah? 
and they're trying to trick him, right? They have this perfect question, because what, what is his options right now, as that question is stated? Yes? Because they specifically gave him a yes or a no question. Who likes yes or no questions? Anybody get try to trick in, into yes or no questions? No, there we go. <laughs> and, and they want, I think something that's really important to realize, I get super simplified sometimes when I read the Bible, and I think this passage is super clear. How could anyone get this wrong? Like, they just try and trick him, like, yes, he says pay taxes, and the people don't like him because they don't like taxes. And no, they don't. He says no, and he gets real mad at him. Like, those are the obvious answers, right? But I think it's more deep than that, knowing your history, because what was, what was the uh, Judas trying to do? He's trying to revolt, right? Start a revolution, something totally different, and fight the power. And so they're thinking, is this guy Jesus? Is he doing the same thing? Because he just cleared the temple. He believes that God's kingdom is coming. Is he a revolutionary? Does he believe that Rome shouldn't exist? So as we look at those questions, let's deep dive a little deeper into those answers. Jesus says yes. It's more deep than just saying, I don't like taxes. Nobody likes taxes. Nobody particularly says, yes, it's time to pay my taxes. But is it, it's got to be deeper than that, because that question would be too simple of an answer, right? So if Jesus says yes, what are the implications? Does Jesus believe in the kingdom that he's claiming is coming? Does he believe in the prophecies? Does he trying to fulfill? Or is he just uh, blowing smoke up everybody, saying, I think that I'm going to get power from this, and so this is what I'm going to do. He says, no. Rome's, <laughs> Rome's memory is not that short. It's a long empire. And saying, no, I'm going to start a revolution, even if he doesn't say a revolution, they've seen these exact things before. And we all know how they tend to come down on things, like a hammer. So as we look at those two options, and again, they gave him the ultimatum of yes or no, Jesus is the ultimate politician. I'm kidding, he's not a politician. Be very clear here. Because what do we know of politicians, right? If you ask them a question they don't want to answer, they just don't answer it. It's the best. What everybody likes when they ask a question is a total non-answer. Again, facetious. But Jesus does answer them, but not in the way they want, which is the part that the end there that I really love. It says, after he answered, that they marveled at him. What's so marvelous? What's so profound in his answer that they marveled? These men who are highly educated, who both parties, it doesn't say the Pharisees marveled, it doesn't say the Herodians marveled. It says they marveled, the group. And again, these are not dumb people. They spent time thinking this question through. They thought they had him. They knew in their minds there's no way out of this one. And it wasn't a non-answer, because a non-answer, as you all, anytime you guys have heard a politician give a non-answer, you go, oh, whatever. It wasn't that. So what did he say so profoundly that they have to go, just happened? I'm going to read it again real quick. Why do you put me to the test, bringing me a denarius? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said to him, Caesar's. 
And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Seems pretty simple. What's going on? First thing I want to say is why did they flatter him in that question? It started with like, we know you're true. We know you don't care about appearances. What was the point? Did they think they were going to trick him? How many times have somebody buttered you up first? Let's be real. I, it happens to me, and I get this little fog. Even if I know that's what they're doing, there's just that little bit of me. It's like, yeah, even if I know I don't like them, I still like hearing it. I just think that's an interesting side note. Nothing really to go with the message. <laughs> Jesus does a couple of things, and I really appreciate it. The first thing is he avoids simplicity. How many times have you had an answer where somebody gives you a yes or no, and you're like, it's not that simple. And they go, oh, no, 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 I got you. He didn't let that happen. He said, I have a more, more complete answer than what you're offering. He doesn't follow the rules that they gave him. It's not, here's your options, and I guess I'll choose the, the less bad one. Right? But he still answers them. It's not a non-answer again. So I really appreciate the fact that he does that, and it's something that's really important. To be clear with this message, I didn't choose this passage. It just happens to be the next one in the, uh, in the group. I'm feeling a little gypped at times by Shane by leaving on the week when we have to talk politics. <laughs> but I think, it's a, I think it's a great time because we're getting into that time of year, end of this year, right, is that time where, where things tend to get really heated. And I think we have a tendency as people to get really simplified and say, that group is bad. He doesn't say that. Jesus never does that. There's no, this group's horrid, this group is great. There's bad things on both sides, right? And he doesn't simplify things down to your horrible people. And so I don't think we should be doing that either, to be clear. And I think something that's really important is he, he takes the moment to think through, what are they actually asking me? It's not, because the easy thing to say is yes or no, right? Again, easy answer, no thought involved. But he doesn't do that, because he knows what they're asking. That was kind of the point of the question this morning, is a time when you didn't understand the question. I have a tendency to go, I know what they're asking me. And then I go and argue with somebody for 30 minutes, and they go, that's not even what I asked you. I know you guys have all done that too. But Jesus actually takes a moment to think and, and look through what they're asking him. So, again, with his possible, uh, possible answers, the first answer, the first question he has to ask himself is Rome acceptable? Yes or no? Here, I see a lot of this. <laughs> Yes and no is the right answer, right? Yes and no. Romans 13.1 talks about the fact that God institutes governments and that if you rebel against said government, you're rebelling against God, right? Not everything. It's not that everything the government says is acceptable, but the government in itself was instituted by God. No, some of the things they do, a lot of the things they do, not so great. 
They are the ones who appointed the Herods, right? Not great. And so in a political question, which is effectively what this is, is truly a political question, uh, we have the, the common answers of the two options that most people would see is the thing that the zealots did, revolution. Or there's another group. Um, I'm going to slaughter this name again. I've wrote it, written it down, and I'm really bad at pronouncing things. Uh, <laughs> uh, E-S-S-I-U-S. -S -S. Yeah, say it louder. The Essenes, there we go. Look, and I just couldn't pronounce it. How many of you guys know who that is? How many of you guys have heard of that group? A couple little hands here and there. You've heard of them. What are, we, what are the things that most people know of from them? The Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Most of you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, probably. This, these scrolls that some of our Bible has looked up against and said, that's how we know that it wasn't changed immensely over thousands and thousands of years. One of our main arguments against it that doesn't just say it's infallible, right? So they found them out, out in the middle of nowhere in caves. Why were they in those caves? The reason that they were out there was this is a group of people who said, we're not going to be a part of your system. We're not going to revolt. We're just going to leave. Kind of like monks and and nuns right not we're not going to be a part of the system whatsoever jesus is not saying that that's acceptable right he says give to caesar what is caesar's he doesn't say no just don't be involved but don't revolution right so these are both both ends here are not acceptable clear yeah I see a lot of this yes yeah But again, they've asked him a question that without implying it, the question again is, are you a revolutionary? Are you just like Judas? And he knows this, to be clear. And so how does he start his question? With the denarius, right? Or his answer, excuse me. With the denarius. Denarius is a silver coin. It's had values that range a little bit. The weight of it has varied over the years. But there's been a number of, and there's been some different things stamped on it. Uh, but they always have a Caesar on it, right? How much is, do you guys have any idea what a denarius is worth? Is it, is, it's silver, and we think of things as silver is valuable, right? It's not, not valuable. But the equivalent would have been roughly a day's wage for a laborer. That's not, it's not nothing, right? It's, but it's not a whole lot. A laborer, not a priest, not someone, not a king. It's not made of gold. It's probably the equivalent of what we would think of is, you know, 100 bucks or something. That, and so the tax, again, was one denarius. That's what the TED tax was. That's why it was so offensive at times, was because it wasn't big. It was literally just the tax imposed to say that you exist under us. It's a mark of subjugation. It's not even a big tax, so everybody can afford it. It's not like it's this huge monumental thing. It's one day of 365 days of the year for the lowest people in the, of everybody. So if you have some money, it's not a big deal. You make you know, 10 of those a day, 20 of those a day. It's, it's an hour's wage. If our government said, I'm going to tax you on one day's wages, I would go, woo! 
So why is it, why is that the, uh, what he, he asked for specifically because if that is the tax we're talking about. And so on the front of that coin, it says Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine. I'm not going to read you the Latin, the Latin version because I can't pronounce any of it. Uh, and on the back, it says the great build, bridge builder. What are those two things? What, what, are they, what is he saying on that coin? Tiberius Caesar, right, the ruler, son of the divine. How would we refer to that? What's the thing that we, we call that? Son of God, right? And what, is, what do you think they're referring to with the greatest bridge builder? Are we going to build bridges? Is that what they're doing? Yeah, I'm really good at building bridges. No, it's not, right? It's not talking about that. What would they want to be bridged to? God, right? So the bridge that, that, that the Son of God is building goes to God. And so it's claiming high priest. That's what that coin claims. Sound like anybody else we know? Oh, the irony. <laughs> and the funny thing is, what does Jesus say about that coin? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's his. They're his. Whose stamp is on it? It's his. Not claiming anything other. He's got it all. But the thing that I think is really funny about it is he doesn't even ask for, he doesn't go, let me give me a second, because they all carried money in their pockets, right? It's coins. They didn't have paper money. It was all in change, right? He didn't go in his pocket and go, oh, here's a coin. He didn't even have one. And, and again, it's not a large amount of money. It's not like it's a $100 bill, because not everybody carries those around. It's, you know, like a dollar. It's not a big deal to them. They would have all carried that with them. And he didn't even have that one. So he said all of those coins stamped with his name on it, those belong to him. And give to him what is his. I don't even have any. It's not, I am a king unlike he is a king. I am not a ruler like he is a ruler. <laughs> As I look at that, I just think, how can, how can you survive without any of that kind of stuff on you at times? How can you have a king? Because the thing that he's laughing about is is the irony. He's, it's not lost on him. Mark really loves irony in his books. In his book, it's, it's something that's just so ridiculous to hear at first. How can we compare these two individuals that's clearly being compared? Jesus and Caesar. One's got all the power, claiming to be the son of man, or son of God, excuse me. One of them both of them, excuse me, are claiming this. One of them is claiming to have tons of wealth. Everything is in his hands. It has the power to crush. One of them isn't doing that. One of them, they're both claiming to be the bridge builder. So why are we, when we come back to his answer as it compares to the revolution that we've talked about, right? What is the revolution of Christ going to look like? If, if we're talking revolution, and that's what they're truly asking him, is revolution, what does it look like? So pull your Bibles out real quick for me and go to Luke 6, 
20 through 26. Or the, as Shane likes to refer to it, the, the lovely glow. Most of us have probably read this, this um, passage, the Beatitudes. Most, even people who haven't read the passage have probably heard of the Beatitudes. And he lifted his eyes up upon his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on an account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So your father did, uh, so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your uh, consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, so uh, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. A different kingdom, right? So we have this this ruler that we're referring to, this this revolution that we're look, that they're looking at. What if we do go through a revolution? Uh, what happens at the end? You have a revolution. So if, if if America were to have a revolution at the end of it, what's different? Still government, right? How do we establish the government with power? Uh, reputation, things like that. No, nothing really changes. The only thing that truly changes are the people, the parties involved, right? Nothing is different. Jesus isn't saying that because he's saying my kingdom is going to be something totally different. Nothing alike. He's, he's someone who, his way of revolution, revolutionizing things is he gives away power. He gives away food. He gives away his reputation. Uh, he gives away everything he has. That's the kind of king that we're talking about. So he says to them, yeah, I'm going to revolutionize things with his answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I'm not trying to destroy that kingdom. But give to God what is God's. And what is God's, by the way? I didn't, I didn't clarify, that, clarify that earlier. Everything is, but, but so if, if we just say everything, the, the simplified answer of, wouldn't the silver, the denarius, be God's then too? Where, where does God's stamp, where's his stamp? Right? On the hearts of men. So give to God what is God's. And stop paying attention to these other things. Things like power, reputation, comfort, and success. That's what he says right there that we're not going to like, right? Uh, Woe to you who are rich. So success, right? Woe to you who are full now comforts. Uh, woe to you who laugh now. Um, I'm going to call that either power or success, one or the other. And woe to you um, who are spoken well of. Things like your reputation. It's in a time when he was being asked a question about revolution, he gave an answer, but not a non-answer again, a clear answer. And that's, I think, why they were so amazed at him. Is they said he said I'm going to revolutionize things, but I'm not going to revolutionize it in the way you want it revolutionized. Neither party, because again, if he'd answered either way, one of those two parties was going to be happy. 
Herodians would have been happy to have things stay the way, pay your taxes. The Pharisees would have been happy if he'd said, no, we're going to destroy, destroy what is currently here. But he didn't say either of those things. He says, we're going to revolutionize things in a way that you don't even understand right now, and it's going to be about my kingdom. And again, this is not a kingdom. I'm not talking the ethereal, I feel good about his kingdom, you know, that stuff. He's talking about a true kingdom, not it, his kingdom is in my heart, which it's not, but it's not. But it's not the kingdom he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom to come, right? It's a long-term revolution that we don't even understand fully right now. And so the thing that I want to, uh, to leave you with, I know I kind of gave a rambling there. I apologize. I kind of had all this information just kind of um, Is as we look at, as we go into a season where there's going to be a lot more divisiveness around us, um, he didn't call us to not be political. I'm not, I'm not calling you guys to all go vote. It's not what I'm saying right now. Um, but I'm also saying you can't leave the political process entirely. Um, I, th I would think you'd find, as, as you look at what Christ is calling people to, he's calling from the extreme ends that are generally coming towards the middle, right? Um, I'm, again, I'm not talking right-left politics here. I'm talking about, so the right have a heart for caring for people. Um, somebody Show those people around you, even the people you don't necessarily like all the time, a lot of love because they need Christ. That's our goal, right? But also, if you're further on the left, be prudent and wise and, and not leave the world and say it's only, it's only going to be utopia, like we're going to totally abandon all things. Stop having enemies everywhere. <laughs> See the people around you as, as the treasure that they are. Um, and again, the most important thing here is look at the revolution he's talking about. It's not a revolution of this world. It's a revolution of his kingdom. It's a revolution that if we take it to heart, we'll have something so impactful on our hearts that you can't possibly see the people around you as your enemy. Okay, that's all I got. But I'm going to give uh, a little bit of time for the elders to come up and, uh, and do some uh, a time of giving. Um, again, it's not a tax. <laughs> Uh, we, we don't want money for the sake of money. This is a time less for us as a church and more for you as a uh, congregation to uh, give willfully uh, and joyfully, not as a I got to do it, but as I get to do it.